New polling data shows Americans are in a terrible mood and the Democrats are set to pay the 2022 price. MSNBC and former top Obama official call for censoring this show and The Daily Wire. And Democrats plan a January 6th hearing extravaganza to try to stave off electoral doom. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, you're spending way too much money on your cell phone bill. I mean, right now you're spending way too much money on everything because thanks, Joe Biden. But your cell phone bill is one place you are definitely spending too much money because you're using one of the big guys, aren't you? Using Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile. They are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't actually use. Why would you pay for things you don't use? That would be stupid. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay 20 bucks to PureTalk for what you actually need. I made the switch. I'll be honest. I was nervous at first thinking, is the coverage really going to be good? Am I going to drop calls or am I going to have slow internet? The answer is you are going to get great coverage. The 5G service is that good. Switching to PureTalk is really, really simple. So listen, if you've been sitting on the fence because, I don't know, because the greedy wireless companies are selling you a bill of goods that any alternative will be crap or something like that. Instead, don't listen to them. Go to puretalk.com. Trust us here at The Daily Wire. We've been using it for a while. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, enter your promo code Shapiro, save 50% off your very first month of coverage. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. It is really, really easy. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Shapiro to get started. That's puretalk.com, promo code Shapiro. Well, all the news in terms of 2022 continues to be terrible for the Democrats. According to a brand new Wall Street Journal NORC poll conducted with the University of Chicago. Apparently, they did a poll. The survey found Americans in a sour mood, registering some of the highest levels of economic dissatisfaction in years, according to the journal. The pessimism extended beyond the current economy to include doubts about the nation's political system, its role as global leader, and its ability to help most people achieve the American dream. When asked, would you describe the state of the nation's economy these days as excellent or good versus poor or not so good? 83%, 83% said poor or not so good. More than one third, 35% said they aren't satisfied at all with their financial situation. This is the highest level of dissatisfaction since NORC began asking the question every few years, starting in 1972. Just over one quarter of respondents, 27% said they have a good chance of improving their standard of living. While just under half of respondents, 46% said they do not. That is a 20 point drop from just last year, which makes sense because when Joe Biden came into office, a lot of people were like, hey, this economy is going to recover. Hey, why would we expect a 40-year inflation way? Hey, things couldn't go so bad. I mean, we just had like a giant COVID pandemic and now we're getting out of it. Probably things will be, oh no. And that is the story of 2021, 2022. The share of respondents who said their financial situation had gotten worse in the past few years was 38%. This is the only other time than 2007 to 2009. And more than three in 10 respondents said their pocketbooks were worse off according to general social science data going back a half century. The survey results show high inflation in particular is driving the dim economic outlook. Inflation is running at close to its fastest pace in four decades, 8.3% annualized rate in April. And now households are digging into savings. The labor market continues to be strong and two thirds of respondents said it would be somewhat or very easy to find a new job. But the problem is, of course, that even if you find a new job, you are making less money because again, inflation eats away at everybody's wages and everybody's savings. These are really, really bad numbers for Democrats. And the bad numbers continue. The journal NORC poll showed about a third of respondents were optimistic that people of different races or religions could come together and solve the country's problems. One third, just 13% of respondents said they were optimistic that was true for Americans who hold different political views. 13% of respondents said they were optimistic that Americans who hold different political views could come together and solve the country's problems. And that is because of the polarization that has been generated by the wild social leftism 
of the Democratic Party, which has now embraced full scale and intersectional view of the world in which races are to be seen as essentialist and in which we are supposed to believe as the basis for discussion that men are women and women are men. The survey found divisions between the two parties on a range of cultural issues. While about two thirds of poll respondents said transgender people should be accepted by society, nearly 90% of Democrats agreed with that statement compared with 38% of Republicans. Just over half of Republicans said their local public schools focus too much on racism. 59% of Democrats said schools focus too little on it. Two thirds of Democrats said the country's diversity makes it stronger compared with 47% of Republicans. Trudy McClendon, 55-year-old DoorDash driver in Oklahoma, said, quote, there are people that have good Christian morals and those that want to live by their own rules. And yeah, that's frankly sounds probably about right. She said the country's racial diversity is a good thing. She pointed to the media for sharpening racial division. She said, I just think there's a lot of incidents that get made to sound a whole lot worse than they are. And yeah, that sounds rational to me. Social media companies are taking the heat as well. Nearly two thirds of respondents, 64%, said platforms such as Facebook and Twitter are harmful for society because they emphasize differences between people. Just over one third, 34%, said they're helpful because they provide a way for Americans to share their opinions. Well, the thing that social media does more than anything else is nationalize every issue. So there's a local story and suddenly becomes a national issue where before it just would have been a community issue that got solved inside the community. And that's a lot easier to do because you know your neighbors. You know the people who live around you, generally speaking. Those numbers are devastating for Democrats. Joe Biden came into office with the pitch that he was going to be the adult in the room. He was going to fix everything. We were going to suddenly have a, a feeling of solidity and unity because that evil, bad man, Donald Trump, is now gone. And so now Joe Biden would come in and he would snooze us all to death. We would all, we, he would come in, he'd be dead, and then everything would be fine. That was the pitch. And instead, he came in and things are worse than they were under President Trump in terms of polarization, in terms of feelings about the economy, in terms of how Americans feel about each other. Well, Joe Biden, he pitched himself as a moderate candidate who is also going to be not alive. Here is the thing. At some point, you may not be alive. I know this is getting real dark real fast, but here's the thing. Since there may come a point at which you are not alive, you need to have life insurance and be a responsible person in a way the president of the United States simply is not. Head on over to policygenius.com. It's your one-stop shop to find the insurance you need at the right price. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro to get started. In minutes, you can compare personalized quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. The licensed agents at Policy Genius are on hand throughout the entire process to help you understand your options and make decisions with confidence. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees. They're not going to sell your information to third parties. Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews across Google and Trustpilot. Policy Genius has options that offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance and place over $150 billion in coverage. So what exactly are you waiting for? Do the responsible thing. Get the life insurance you need. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. Be a responsible person with Policy Genius. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro to get started. Meanwhile, this White House is just attempting to whistle past the graveyard Corinne Jean-Pierre, the new White House press secretary, she was asked about the high gas prices, which are just skunking Americans. I mean, gas costs a fortune in the United States right now, higher than it has ever been by leaps and bounds. She was asked about this, and her response was, well, you know, the gas prices are higher in Europe. Good luck with that. If that's your midterm message, sure, things suck, but you could be in France. Really? Good luck to you. 
what happened when Putin started amassing troops on the border with Russia, the price of gas has increased by a dollar and fifty-one cents. And uh, and I also want to add because this is really important, so that people understand and flag that similar issues are happening around the world. In the EU, gas is eight dollars and fifteen cents per gallon and has increased by one dollar and seventy-four cents. In Germany, gas is eight dollars and eighty-eight cents per gallon. It has increased two dollars and sixteen cents. In Canada, gas is six dollars and twenty. Three cents per gallon and has increased one dollar and ninety three cents and all of this has happened since December of 2021 this is to your point Phil uh, which is this is a global challenge uh, this is something that everyone is feeling uh, across the globe I love that she has all of those stats available so that was the talking point they came up with they knew they were going to ask get asked about gas prices and they don't have a plan to lower the gas prices and they don't have a, a plan to allow for more drilling which future supply does impact current price they don't have any plans for any of that. What they are going to do is lecture you that you could be in Canada. Really good luck with this sort of stuff. There's a reason that Harry Enten, the political analyst for CNN, he says this is the best environment for Republicans in 80 years. In 80 years. Here we go. Guess what? Since 1938, the Republican two-point lead on the generic congressional ballot is the best position for Republicans at this point in any midterm cycle in over 80 years. My estimate for the 2023 House makeup, if the election were held today, which again, it isn't, we still have five months, five months from tomorrow, would be Republicans 236 seats to 241 seats, Democrats 194 to 199. That's based off of a formula of seat to seat race ratings from both the Cook Political Report and Inside Election. By the way, that's Harry Enten actually being pretty cautious because when he says 236 to 241 for Republicans, Republicans currently hold 208. So you're talking about on the lower end of that spectrum, less than the 30 seat pickup. Now, that's because Republicans are in pretty strong position going in. They picked up like 15 seats in the last election cycle. But if this is a blowout election, it could easily be 245 or 250. If this really turns into a wave election where it's not Republicans plus two, it's Republicans plus eight, Republicans plus 10, Republicans could have a historically large majority in the House of Representatives. And this is only exacerbated by the fact that the Democratic Party cannot, they cannot hold it in. They cannot stop their left wing from running the party. It's amazing. And they still have AOC out there trying to lecture the moderates. Now, how AOC became a leader of a party leadership is, is beyond me. It makes no sense. If you have a party that is largely dependent on swing districts, why are you taking hints from people in Brooklyn who won like 16,000 votes in one primary? And now we're supposed to believe that this person is a representative of the entire Democratic base, which she clearly is not. But, but unfortunately, the, the philosophy of the AOCs of the world rules the Democratic Party. So here she is explaining that even though no Latino person in the United States identifies as Latinx because it's the dumbest crap in the entire world, Latinx is predicated on the idea that somehow female Latinos, right, Latinas, that somehow they are offended by the fact that Spanish as a language is gendered. And so therefore, you have to get rid of the gendered aspect of Spanish by adding an X to the end of words, which... You know how many Latinos and Latinas care about this sort of thing? The answer is negative. Okay, there are generations not yet born who don't care about this and also think it's idiotic. It's just ridiculous. And this is true, by the way, for everyone who is a, who is a member of a population that speaks a gendered language, a language that is not gender neutral. If you said to, I'm, I'm much more familiar with Hebrew. If you said to Israelis, and okay, we are now starting to call people, the, the word in, in Hebrew is anashim for, for people, Okay, because the, the suffix at the end of words in Hebrew, plural suffix, is yudmem for male and vavtav uh, vav for, for female. 
if you, I know this is getting abstruse, if you take those suffixes and you just remove them and suddenly anashim become anashik, everybody in Israel would laugh at you. And the same thing is true for anyone who is a member of a population that speaks a gendered language. Here is AOC, however, saying, if you, if you think that this alienates Latino people, it's because you're intolerant and you're a bigot and you're stupid. Really, keep taking your hints from this. It really, do it, Democrats. Do it. It's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it pays off for you. There are some politicians, including Democratic politicians, that rail against the term Latinx. And they're like, this is so bad. This is so bad for the party. Like, blah, blah, blah. And, like, it's almost as though it has not struck some of these folks that another person's identity is not about your re-election prospects. Like... This is not about you. Second of all, if putting a little X on your campaign literature is what you think is the difference between winning or losing an election, you need to talk about healthcare more. You need to raise people's wages. You need to talk about more issues that also matter to people. She's a crazy person. She's a crazy person. So she thinks that you should be able to cram down as much social leftism and gender neutral garbage as you could ever want. So long as you just talk about Bernie Sanders healthcare. Good luck with this message, Democrats. Well, here's the thing. Democrats know they're about to get their asses kicked in 2022. They know that this is going to be ugly, ugly, ugly. And so they have the rabbit in the hat. And the rabbit in the hat is, wait for it, wait for it, January 6th. Now, I know, I know you're sitting here and you're saying, wait, isn't the date today June 7th, 2022? And if I'm not mistaken, isn't that date not January 6th, 2021? And in fact, isn't the date January 6th, 2021? In that date, like 18 months ago, like, isn't that a long time ago? You'd be correct. That, but but you are not a Democrat in a position of power who is desperate, desperate to redirect away from discussions of anything anyone cares about. So the American people are like, the economy sucks. We're deeply worried about our foreign policy. We're enmeshed in an endless war now in Ukraine, at least funding an endless war in Ukraine that has no clear exit strategy. We have a rising China. We, we have serious inflation problems in this country. And Democrats are like, let's talk about Trump. You're like, what the? F Trump isn't even on social media. What are you talking about? Like, let's talk about the Proud Boys. Really? This is your plan? Your plan for Americans is no one is happy with the economy to the point where 83% of Americans are unhappy with the economy, according to that Wall Street Journal poll. And your plan is to talk about 200 idiots breaking into the Capitol building, being rousted from the Capitol building within two hours, and then the election being certified? That's your plan? After you spend a full year standing aside and quietly winking and nodding, in some cases, not so quietly, winking and nodding at large-scale riots, the most dangerous riots in American history. After, after you spend a year completely undermining the cops to the point that murder rates spike in every major city around the country, to the point where Los Angeles and San Francisco are now looking at, in San Francisco, recalling a progressive prosecutor, and in Los Angeles, electing a quasi-Republican to the mayoralty. And your, and your answer to this is, yeah, but you remember that one time? Where these, where these idiots attacked some police officers and went into the Capitol building and were not actually a threat to the working order of the United States. They, were, they actually were, were rousted. And the only person who died, not of, not of a, a health condition, was Ashley Babbitt, one of the rioters at the hands of a D.C. police officer, at the hands of Capitol Police. I mean, is, is, that, is that really? That's what we're talking about? This is your plan. 
Okay, and the entire media are now enmeshed in the plan. So January 6th may not have been an actual threat to democracy, but you know what is a threat to your financial future? Those credit card bills are going to eat you up because the fact is once those interest rates start rolling, you're in serious trouble, which is why you need to consolidate your credit card debt into one monthly payment at a lower fixed interest rate. This is the magic of Lightstream. Lower your interest rate save with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. Rates start at 5.73% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. Plus, the rate is fixed, so it's not going to go up over the life of the loan. You can get a loan from five grand to $100,000. There are absolutely no fees. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience. That's exactly what they deliver. Just for my listeners, apply right now. Get a special interest rate discount. Save even more. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Shapiro. Again, that's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Shapiro. Subject to credit approval. Rates range from 5.73% APR to 19.99% APR, including 0.50% auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit terms and conditions apply. Offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Shapiro for more information. Again, that's lightstream.com slash Shapiro, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash Shapiro. Get started today. So Democrats, along with some compliant Republicans who apparently are looking for the strange new respect, have decided that they're going to, to a prime time here, congressional prime time hearings. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, could anything be more exciting than a congressional hearing in prime time? I mean, my God, it's like the finale of Dallas. It's like the, it's like the last show of Lost, the, the anticipation, the expectation. It's like when they drop season four of Stranger Things. Everybody's just waiting for the congressional hearing in prime time. Because you need to hear from Jamie Raskin on January. Like that, that is, people are just dying for it. They want more. They can't wait for it. This is Democrats' plan. Their plan is they're going to have primetime congressional hearings about January 6th, in which we learn all the stuff we already knew. There are a bunch of people who are morons and criminals who decide to go into the Capitol building, that presumably some of those people just kind of wandered in, which is true, that Donald Trump said bad stuff that day. Although he also said that day to peacefully protest at the Capitol building, he did not, in fact, order people to go into the Capitol building and to wreck things. And you're going to hear that Donald Trump was derelict in trying to shut this thing down, that he should have done more in order to stop this thing earlier. Right? That's what you're going to hear. And here's the thing. Everybody already knows this. This is already baked into the cake. You know why? We were all there. This is one of the most covered events in modern history. It's not like January 6th is uncovering some sort of big, deep, dark secret. We were there. We were watching it in real time. We all remember what President Trump was tweeting. We all remember what President Trump was saying at the rally. We all remember what President Trump said on video directly in the middle of this. We all remember all of this because we were alive during this point. We were all born, if you're listening to the show, I assume you are more than one and a half years old, which means you remember all of this. So the idea that Democrats are going to drag all this up and then they're just going to be like, well, you know, this is why you should vote for us is because of January 6th. All right. Have at it. Let's see how it goes. And, and they expect ratings for this. They expect people to be like, wow, you know, at the water cooler. Did you see what happened in that congressional hearing where they reviewed a bunch of footage that we've already seen? And they talked about a bunch of people who we already think are bad. That's going to be, man, wow, the excitement, the thrill. It's like Top Gun Maverick. Ooh, wow. It's like, ooh. It's like, <laughs> by the way, the New York Times is just spitting out what this is. This is an article by Annie Carney and Luke Broadwater, quote, January 6th hearings give Democrats a chance to recast midterm message. Yep. Yep. That is what you're looking at. January 6th hearings give Democrats a chance to recast midterm message. We all know what you are doing. With their majority at stake, Democrats plan to use the six high-profile hearings to refocus voters' attentions on Republicans' role in the attacks. 
17 months after a mob of Donald J. Trump's supporters stormed the Capitol with false claims of a stolen election, House Democrats plan to use a landmark set of investigative hearings beginning this week to try to refocus voters' attention on January 6th, aiming to tie Republicans directly to an unprecedented plot to undermine democracy itself. As we'll discuss in just a minute, Democrats' plan to save democracy is to burn down democracy. The idea is that your rights have somehow facilitated the end of democracy. Therefore, if we just end your rights and also end a lot of our democratic processes, then magically democracy will have been preserved. Isn't that exciting? We'll get to that in a moment. But here's what they say. With their control of Congress hanging in the balance, again, the New York Times just saying the quiet part out loud here. This is obviously an election ploy. Democrats plan to use made-for-television moments and a carefully choreographed rollout of revelations over the course of six hearings to remind the public of the magnitude of Mr. Trump's efforts to overturn the election and to persuade voters that the coming midterm elections are a chance to hold the Republicans accountable for it. Here's the thing. Donald Trump was already held accountable. He ain't the president. He was preemptively held accountable for the kinds of stuff that he says in election 2020. Because I noticed that the person occupying the Oval Office is not alive and also not Donald Trump. By the way, the chief advisor for January 6th special committee is James Goldston, the former president of ABC News, which shows you exactly where the politics of the news media are, right? That they were able to just go directly to the president of ABC News and be like, hey, want to come and produce these January 6th hearings? Apparently, Goldston is producing Thursday's 8 p.m. Eastern hearing as if it were a blockbuster investigative special. He plans to make it raw enough so skeptical journalists will find the material fresh and chew over the disclosures in future coverage. He wants it to draw the eyeballs of Americans who haven't followed the ins and outs of the Capitol riot probe. Apparently, he is shaping a massive trove, this is Axios reporting. The hearing will be a mix of live witnesses and pre-produced video. Man, I can't wait for the point where they bring out Lady Gaga for intermission. That's going to be great. And suddenly they're like, and now Billie Eilish sings about the tragedy of January 6th. According to Axios, the committee has gained access to official White House photographs for January 6th that have never been seen publicly. I'll bet you Donald Trump is in them. I'm just going to put it out there, probably. Only a fraction of the surveillance footage from inside the Capitol, all kinds of angles were captured, has been shown. Many of the committee's depositions were videotaped. We will see clips. An aide says the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol has conducted more than 1,000 depositions and interviews with more scheduled, received 140,000 plus documents, and is following up on 472 tips received through the committee's online tip line. At least two of the broadcast networks will interrupt evening programming for live coverage AB anchored by ABC's David Muir and CBS's Nora O'Donnell. NBC is going to do the same thing. So just going to point out here that I have never heard of a hearing that has received primetime coverage like this. Not in modern American history, not in the last several decades. The, the, the notion that congressional hearings are going to have full wall-to-wall network coverage this way, this didn't happen with Benghazi for sure. I, I, I'm unaware of any congressional hearings that have had this sort of wall-to-wall media because, of course, they just made a few calls and all of their friends are now going to cover this. They got to shift the election narrative and they're going to call their friends in the media to make the magic happen. And you will be told all of these things that you already basically know. You'll be told all these things that you already basically know, and you'll be told that it's the most important thing that has ever happened. Representative Sean Patrick Maloney, Democratic campaign chair, he said, when these hearings are over, voters will know how irresponsibly complicit Republicans were in attempting to toss out the vote and just how far Republicans will go to gain power for themselves. Now, here's the thing. If Republicans had engaged in criminal conduct, there have been full-scale investigations that have been done criminally by the DOJ. They can't, they, no in no indictment of any Republican politician. What are congressional committees supposed to do? Okay, they have two purposes by law. One is legislative purpose. Right, so let's say that there is legislation on the books that prevented the Capitol from being properly defended. They got to fix those procedures. So you have hearings. Two is oversight. Right, oversight, which is misuse of legislative 
language or legislative funding. Neither of those functions is being performed here. This is just electoral gamesmanship. I get it. Listen, I do. I get it. This happens in politics all the time. But to pretend that it's anything but that is, of course, incredibly silly. And the New York Times is even saying it. Uh, this January 6th committee, it may be playing political games. It may be all just a waste of time. But here's the thing. You don't have time to waste or money to waste when it comes to paying for your gas bill. Because thanks to Joe Biden and his team of geniuses, you're paying a lot of money every time you go to the pump. This is why you need the incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about Upside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download that free Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Shapiro for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using Upside. Download the app for free. Use promo code Shapiro for 25 cents per gallon or more on your very first tank. And it's not just for gas. You can earn cash back at grocery stores, restaurants, and with takeout too. You can cash out anytime to your bank account or get an e-gift card for select retailers and brands. Just download that free Upside app. Use promo code Shapiro. Get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your very first tank of gas. And right now you are spending maybe over $100 every time you fill up that tank. If you could lower it, why wouldn't you just do so? Get that free Upside app today. Use promo code Shapiro. Get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on that first tank of gas. Use my promo code Shapiro right now. Again, that's promo code Shapiro when you use that free Upside app. Democrats are up against the reality that the raw emotions in the aftermath of the attack have faded, even among voters who care about the facts. As attention has turned to an ongoing war in Ukraine, gun violence at home, deep pessimism about the state of the economy. Their task is to persuade voters that the January 6th attack revealed bigger and more important issues at stake, including the Republican Party's alignment with violent extremists and its decision to make adherence to the big lie that the 2020 election was stolen a test of membership. That is a hard task, by the way. They're trying to claim that in order for you to be a good Republican, you have to claim that the 2020 election was stolen. Weird, because Brian Kemp just wiped the floor with David Perdue in Georgia. So that's actually a very hard case to make because Donald Trump has endorsed a slate of candidates all across the country who have suggested that the 2020 election was stolen outright. And many of those candidates have gotten skunked. Most obviously in Georgia, where Donald Trump, in a fit of pique, basically threw two Georgia senatorial seats to the Democrats because he was so mad at Brian Kemp. And Brian Kemp just walked all over his chosen gubernatorial candidate, David Perdue, by a margin of like 50 points. So you don't have to be Liz Cheney in order to survive and suggest that the 2020 election was not stolen in the sense that it was all voter fraud and voter irregularity that made all of this happen. Liz Cheney, for her part, she's decided to just go all the way here. So she says that the Republican Party is in league with white nationalists and anti-Semites and all the rest. Uh, and in order to show this, She's siding with the party of Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. Also worth noting here, it was Kevin McCarthy and the House leadership that prevented Republicans from censuring Liz Cheney when she originally did this stuff. It was McCarthy who stepped in and said Liz Cheney should be able to say whatever she wants about President Trump and not get censured by her own Republican colleagues. So a little bit of ingratitude toward McCarthy here from Liz Cheney, but she's made up her mind. The strange new respect is very much worth it to her. And again, I'm a big believer that January 6th was a deep wrong, that it was that it was one of the ugliest just visual spectacles that I've seen in modern American politics. That is not the same thing as suggesting the entire Republican Party is now in league with the white nationalists based on what? Really based on what? I mean, Kevin McCarthy came out and he's actually condemned people like Marjorie Taylor Greene for comments that she's made far more strongly than anyone in the Democratic Party. I mean, the Democratic Party, nobody will even say boo to the fact that they have open anti-Semitic pro-terrorism people in their ranks, like on the cover of Rolling Stone with Nancy Pelosi. So she's siding with that party against the. Uh, all right, here we go. What keeps Kevin McCarthy close to Trump? Fear or something else? 
I think some of it is fear. I think it's also craven political calculation. I think that he has decided that, you know, the most important thing to him is to attempt to be Speaker of the House. And therefore, uh, he is embracing those in our party who uh, are anti-Semitic. He is embracing those in our party who um, are white nationalists. He's lying about what happened on January 6th. And he's turned his back on the Constitution. Yet your colleagues continue to back him. I've never seen anything like it before, and I think it reflects and, and represents um, the danger of this moment. Useful idiocy. Useful idiocy. You can say January 6th was wrong. You can say that the people who rioted were performing an act of evil. You can say that President Trump promulgated falsehoods about the election that led people to do bad things. That is not the same thing as saying that the Republican Party full scale has embraced anti-Semitism. Does she have any evidence for this? Is Kevin McCarthy like attending Paul Gosar rallies or something? And where is her evidence for this? It doesn't exist. But again, the idea is that she's now in the firm, warm embrace of the media. And then, I mean, this is Liz Cheney. Her dad, they make movies about how evil her dad was. Hollywood makes giant mainstream films by, by Oscar winning directors about how terrible and evil her dad is. So now that she's feeling this warm embrace, I mean, apparently she finds it very, very cuddly. So what exactly are these hearings going to focus on? According to the New York Times, a significant portion of the first hearing will focus on the Proud Boys, a far-right group whose members have been charged with seditious conspiracy in connection with the storming of the Capitol, according to two people familiar with the matter who spoke about it on the condition of anonymity. And is scheduled to include testimony from a documentary filmmaker, Nick Quested, who was embedded with the group during the storming of the building and who was injured in an assault said to be triggered by the... Also, they're going to hear from a Capitol Police officer, Carolyn Edwards, who was injured in an assault said to be triggered by the Proud Boys. The goal is to provide the public with a more in-depth portrait of what unfolded on January 6th than the images that played out on television that day. Norman Eisen, who was hired by the Judiciary Committee to serve as special counsel during the first Trump impeachment, said Democrats had learned from some of their successes and misfire during those hearings, but still faced challenges. He said they need to have three things, the attention-grabbing power of new evidence, the spontaneous drama created by live witnesses, and the oldest trick in the book, telling a good story. The risk is there's an enormous amount of anticipation and buildup. No, the real risk is no one cares because everybody knows what happened because we were all there. Like, where is the big wave of support for the Proud Boys? Have they been taking in billions of dollars in donations? Where is the giant wave of Republican support for the events of January 6th? In an attempt to keep the hearing from becoming too dry and disconnected, the committee is tentatively planning to play video of the Capitol attack and considering airing clips of key testimony from high-profile witnesses like former White House advisors Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner. Yeah, I, I'm sure that they're going to get Ivanka and Jared on tape talking openly about how actually they were in favor of the insurrection. I, I'm sure that's exactly what's going to be played. Or alternatively, we are all of this is an attempt to redirect and misdirect away from the fact that Democrats are about to get just destroyed in 2022. And so they have to have an alternative plan. So if it turns out that their narrative is garbage and that all they have is Trump and January 6th and saying that kind of stuff over and over and over, they have to have a backup plan. Their backup plan, as always, is what if we shut down our political opponents and let them not talk? So What is a Woman is the brand new documentary with Matt Walsh. It has made just enormous waves. We're talking like hundreds of thousands of people are subscribing to Daily Wire based on this documentary. And that's not a surprise because Daily Wire is, thank God, a very popular business. People engage with our content in extraordinarily large numbers because we are very open about the fact that we are conservative. And then we tell the truth. And the left does not like this. And so the left's plan always and forever is shut down the opposition. The left's plan is if we can't win, then we will change the rules of the game. We will rig the game. So, for example, senior White House communications director under Barack Obama, Dan Pfeiffer, 
And this guy was a senior advisor to the president of the United States. He was a head comms guy for Barack Obama. He was on MSNBC on Morning Joe with Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski, where he was suggesting that the great danger to democracy is that alternative voices like the Daily Wire are being allowed out of the box. We have to stop this right now. And what he says here is that Daily Wire has very high levels of engagement on Facebook. That's true. People like clicking on our headlines. And, and he says, well, you know, Daily Wire has higher levels of engagement than MSNBC and CNN. Yeah, because your programming is garbage. That's why. Hate to break it to you, but more people like watching dogs dry than watching CNN. Like, no, no one is interested in, in watching your, like, I'm sorry that people enjoy engaging with articles that provide an alternative to the vast mainstream media monopoly. But their solution always and forever is, okay, what, what if we just like silence it? What if we just make them go away? So here's Dan Pfeiffer making that open suggestion. I think these social media companies are in many ways the tobacco companies of this era. They're exploiting loopholes in the law to deeply damage America. It's just back to your cancer metaphor. Yes. And with little to no regulation. But if you go to Facebook on a daily basis, the most, the posts with the most engagement are from Dan Shapiro, or Ben Shapiro, Dan Bongino, Candace Owens. It is right-wing content. It dwarfs progressive content. It dwarfs mainstream media content, which is actually should be the part that scares us the most, that Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire has more followers and engagement, many times more than the New York Times or CNN. That is a problem for democracy. So are you saying that, like, the Republican agenda is backed up by the freaks on Facebook, and so they don't want to do anything about it? Absolutely. The freaks, right? And the Republican agenda is backed by mainstream conservatives all over the country, millions of them? Wow. Well, Mika Brzezinski basically suggesting openly and Dan Pfeiffer saying that this is a cancer on democracy. Democracy can only be preserved if you shut down free speech and if you tell the social media companies to shut down the possibility of an alternative. By the way, the New York Times has 7 million paying subscribers. Hey, they're multiple times larger than the Daily Wire is. And when you actually weigh out, because we've done this sort of study, when you weigh out the engagement between right and left on Facebook in terms of news sites visited, it's about half and half, which makes perfect sense because, again, the country is split about half and half. Now, that data matters not to them because, again, the idea is that if there's anything that remotely resembles an alternative to a legacy media that is openly doing the bidding of the Democratic Party, then this must be shut down. Like the the left-wing media today, they're very exercised about the fact that Fox News is not going to live stream the Democrats' congressional propaganda hearing. The reason they're upset about that is because, not, not because the other networks are doing something unprecedented. I, again, I've never heard of primetime congressional hearings wall-to-wall on every network simultaneously. I've never heard of anything like that. It'd be one thing if President Trump had been subpoenaed and then he were going to come in and testify. Then, of course, I understand it. But if this is just a recapitulation of all the stuff we saw January 6th, and it's just a propaganda hour on behalf of Democrats, why would Fox News broadcast that exactly? I didn't remember, like Fox News broadcast the Benghazi hearings. I, I don't remember NBC and, and CNN and all the rest of these guys going wall to wall on that stuff. But apparently that's very controversial. And the possibility of an alternative is very controversial. Which is why, by the way, you should subscribe over at Daily Wire, right? We need your subscriptions because their goal is to shut shut us up. Their goal is to prevent the distribution of messages they don't like. This is what they want to do. The way that you prevent that is by subscribing, which allows us to get our material to you and you to pass it along to your friends. It's really, really important. Right? What is a woman is an amazing piece of content that would not be available if the Democrats had their way. And if, and if by the way, social media bosses had their way. One of the more amazing things about what is a woman, by the way, I should mention this here because it really is incredible. So we sent out, because every major studio that produces a movie sends out the movie to critics and reviewers so they can actually post reviews. If you go right now to Rotten Tomatoes and you look at the number of critic reviews 
on what is a woman? The answer right now, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. The answer is one review, one review on Tomato Meter. Hey, zero actual critical reviews that have been posted by anyone in the mainstream. The only person who has posted a review is Christian Toto. Now, Christian is a right-wing reviewer. It has a 98% audience score. It currently has 1,000 plus ratings. What is a woman? Zero reviews. You want to know why it has zero reviews? Have you ever heard of something that has a 1,000 plus audience score rating, nearly 100% and no reviews? The answer why there are no reviews is because when we sent this out, we immediately got back a bunch of responses from the reviewers cursing at us. Because this is the legacy media that, that we must be silenced on behalf of. So for example, we sent it to a fandom reviewer. They responded, unsubscribe, 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 like one million times. Because how we, even asking people to watch things they don't like. Another writer editor, unsubscribe, lose my email, forget my name. Right? That person actually wrote unsubscribe. A film critic who's a member of the Critics' Choice Association and a member of the Alliance of Women Film Journalists and Galica, the Society of LGBTQ Entertainment Critics, said, hard effing pass. I won't give that transphobic bigot a platform on my site. Never email me again. And we got responses like this by the dozens, uh, maybe by the hundreds. Hard pass. All of these responses are perfectly predictable because the press only likes covering the stuff that they like to cover. They only want to give you one angle. And then... If it turns out that our stuff is popular, they get very angry that it's popular. They get super ticked. How dare it be popular? And so the only solution is to shut down everything. Because here's the thing. If they shut down everything, then they're able to control the narrative. And here's what happens when they lose control of the narrative. They get absolutely politically blown out of the water. When people actually ask them basic questions like Matt did, like what is a woman? And then they can't answer the question. It turns out this is very bad for them politically, culturally. The left may not be able to tell you what a woman is, and therefore they look to censor. But here's the thing. If you know what goes on down below, you need a pair of underwear that is going to treat you right. And this is why you need Tommy John. When you wear Tommy John, you are that much cooler, so you can do everything better thanks to breathable, lightweight fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. Tommy John was founded in 2008 by married entrepreneurs Tom Patterson and Aaron Fujimoto to solve the problems both men and women have with their underwear and apparel, which means no pinching, no bunching, no riding up with dozens of comfort innovations. Tommy John will keep you looking and feeling cool all season long from lounging at home to summertime fun. I wear only Tommy John. It's just that good. Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Every single pair of Tommy John's underwear sold is covered by their no wedgie guarantee, which definitely would have helped me in high school. With over 17 million pairs sold, people love their Tommy John underwear and loungewear as well. Tommy John doesn't just make you feel cooler. You actually are cooler. You can stay up to seven degrees cooler than cotton in Tommy John's Apollo underwear. Plus, there's no risk. You're covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free. Guarantee. So shop TommyJohn.com slash Ben right now for 20% off your very first order. Get 20% off right now at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. That's TommyJohn.com slash Ben. See site for details. Well, folks, what is a woman is a massive, unprecedented success. We gain more subscribers the day of the premiere than any other day in Daily Wire history, and then more subscribers the day after that, and then even more subscribers the day after that. Both What is a Woman and Matt Walsh have been trending on Twitter for a full week. We are changing the gender ideology conversation. We're fighting back in culture. This documentary matters not just because it's awesome and really entertaining, but because it's changing the entire debate around an issue that is taking over your child's school, that is wrecking an entire generation of Americans. Without your support, none of this would be possible. So from all of us, if you have been subscribing, thank you. If you haven't been subscribing, let me just tell you, you need to right now. Why? Not just because you need to see what is a woman, but because we have more unbelievable content for you. Here is the thing. June 14th, it's one week from today. Terror on the Prairie. 
Remember when Hollywood and Disney tried to cancel Gina Carano? Remember, she tweeted something they didn't like and it wasn't offensive, but they fired her anyway because basically she was a conservative. Well, two days after Gina was canceled, we here at Daily Wear announced she would be starring in and producing our next original film. We proved that the left cannot cancel people if we do not let them. So we uncanceled Gina Carano. The full uncanceling, the uncanceling redux. It's happening right now. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. Get exclusive access to our entire library of documentaries, shows, and more. And see Terror on the Prairie next week. Watch the uncanceling of Gina Carano. The movie really kicks ass. You're going to love it. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. See, here's the thing. When there's an alternative to the legacy media that people actually watch and engage with, it's very bad for left-wing narratives because sometimes it just exposes bad things that people on the left are doing. So for example, now it's a national issue. Apparently, there was a drag the kids to pride, family-friendly drag show. Now, if you're wondering what the hell a family-friendly drag show is, the answer is it doesn't exist. It is a contradiction in terms. But there was a family-friendly drag show at a Dallas bar called Mr. Mister. Get it? Like Mr. Mister? <laughs> it, because it's a Because it's a drag bar. Right, which you might wonder why it's appropriate for small children to be visiting any bar, let alone a drag bar, which is inherently sexual. You might wonder why that would be appropriate. You would be correct. Some of the footage has now been released and all of these parents uh, are committing acts of child abuse here. So here is a, here's some of the video. Here's a child who obviously looks overjoyed to be at a drag show walking alongside a man in women's clothing with fake boobs uh, walking alongside a small child. This kid, how old do you think this kid is? Nine, maybe? Eight, nine, at most? This is the Drag to Kids to Pride event at Mr. Mister's in Dallas's Oakland neighborhood. Organizers promoted it as a family-friendly drag show where kids danced with the performers. I don't believe that um, I, I should be seeing signs uh, advertising for children to be dancing on stage with men in thongs and in inappropriate clothing and makeup. The organizers say today was a family-friendly event with a safe environment separate from their normal operations. Okay, and if you can't see the video, this is a drag performer in what appears to be like a bondage stripper outfit, gyrating up and down. And behind this drag performer is a sign that says it's not going to lick itself. And so people on the right cover this. You'll get some local coverage. Is it a national news story? Not a national news story, because the legacy media will never cover this as a national news story. Even though the simple fact of the matter is, this sort of stuff is happening in areas all over the country. And we are to be told, we are told by the left that don't worry, sexual indoctrination and confusion of children is not happening. And that if you try to bar it from public schools, this makes you a bigot. The right is covering this sort of stuff. No wonder they want to shut it down, because any parent with half a brain, gay, straight, or otherwise, looks at this and goes, this is not appropriate for kids. Are you out of your damned minds? What is wrong with you people? Like what? This has nothing to do with the sexual orientation of the parents or friends or what you think about things like gay marriage. Why are children attending a, a gay bar with men dressed up as women strippers in front of a sign reading, it's not going to lick itself? How is that possibly appropriate or okay? But this is why the media have to argue in favor of censorship of right-wing sources because the minute that stuff becomes public, it gets very, very ugly for folks on the left. So this is why you should be deeply suspicious, by the way, when you see politicians like Kathy Hochul in, in New York making the case that social media should shut down, quote unquote, hateful content. I think your definition of hateful content may be wildly different from my definition of hateful content. And in the state of New York, 
We're now requiring social media networks to monitor and report hateful conduct on their platforms. Thank you, Senator Anna Kaplan, and thank you, Assignment Member Patricia Fahey. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm just wondering what exactly the hateful conduct is. If we are talking about them monitoring people threatening to shoot people, all in. Sounds great. If we are talking about people saying, for example, that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, which is, I think, what Democrats are mostly talking about, I have suspicions about what exactly it is that you want to do with free speech. I mean, especially coming from Kathy Hochul, who has publicly said the First Amendment should be limited on behalf of, quote unquote, marginalized communities. Meanwhile, it's not just these power games the left is playing. Again, when they start to lose, they got to change the rules. So you got Eric Holder, the former attorney general of the United States. Remember that it was, it was supposedly Bill Barr and Jeff Sessions who were doing the dirty work of the president. This man as attorney general, not only covered up for a gun running operation in Fast and Furious, Eric Holder openly declared himself the wingman of the president of the United States. And that was considered totally appropriate by our legacy media. He was telling Jonathan Capehart on Washington Post Live, he said, you know, what we really need is for the political minority to have less power in this country because they're controlling everything. That means we're in danger of political apartheid. This sort of language, by the way, is insane. Political apartheid, like in which black Americans are, are second class citizens. It, it, it's so historically ignorant. It's so governmentally foolish. But again, you're losing. Change the rules. We are in danger of slipping into uh, what I would call a, a political apartheid system where a minority of the people in this country uh, will have disproportionate amounts of power and be able to put in place things that are not supported by the majority. I, I do love the fact that Democrats are now very much in favor of majoritarianism when it was majoritarianism in certain areas of the country that led to actual apartheid. It was majoritarianism in the South that led to actual apartheid. The point is that individual rights protected by the Constitution of the United States and systems of checks and balances are supposed to protect minorities. That's like the, the historical ignorance of saying, what if a majority just said what it wants to do? But only if the majority is on our side. It's so, it's so governmentally ignorant. It is so historically stupid. Or for example, you got Jamie Raskin. Right? We, 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 we tend to lose, so why not change? The, let's dump the Electoral College to get rid of these things. I mean, these things are an obstacle to us doing what we want. It's all a power game. I've taken a position that the Electoral College is an undemocratic relic of the early Constitution, just like uh, the state legislature's selection of U.S. senators, which is something we got rid of in uh, 1913 with the 17th Amendment, just like the exclusion of women from voting, which we got rid of um, in 1920 in the 19th Amendment. But we do still have what I think are some obsolescent uh, political institutions in the country and certainly some obsolescent political practices. So it's time to get rid of those political practices, right? What if we just ban Daily Wire from social media or restrict social media more generally? What if we get rid of the Electoral College? What if we change the rules of the debate so the filibuster goes away, but only when Democrats are in charge? When Republicans are in charge, we put the filibuster right back in again. What if we do everything we can do to shift the rules of the game? And what if the compliant media do all of our dirty work for us? Wouldn't that be great? At this point, you should be thinking to yourself, wait a second, aren't they having hearings about threats to democracy? Aren't they suggesting that the gravest threat to democracy was a bunch of droogs who went into the Capitol building and held up the business of the government for approximately three hours? Aren't they saying that's the threat to democracy? And then simultaneously saying, what if we restrict free speech on social media? What if we get rid of the Electoral College? What if we go ahead and get rid of any sort of protections for political minorities in the country? What if we do all those things? Who's the threat to democracy here? One of the reasons that you guys aren't going to succeed with the case that you're making about January 6th 
is because people look at the way that you rig the institutions in this country. They look at the way that you try to change the rules. They look at the way that you try to target your political opposition for outright destruction. And they say to themselves, wait a second, I don't think that you have any ground to stand on when you talk about threats to democracy. Because the answer is both. The answer is yes, it's a threat to democracy when people storm the Capitol building and try to hold up the workings of government. That is a one-time, three-hour threat to democracy. And it really isn't even that because it was cleared very quickly. Doesn't mean it wasn't ugly. Doesn't mean it wasn't criminal. It was not a threat to the working order of the United States in any serious way. You know, it's a far graver threat. The takeover of every American institution and the attempt to change the rules to prevent these sort of political conversations that make for a working republic. That is a threat to democracy. And that's what you guys are pursuing each and every day. Speaking of which, one of my favorite things here is the way that the left suggests, the tacit suggestion is when they say that you should censor places like the Daily Wire, that the legacy media are doing it right. Let me provide you an example with uh, how bad the legacy media are at this. They are just run by children. They're run by children. So the Washington Post, democracy dies in darkness. This is, a, this is a source that must be respected. The Washington Post, the historic Washington Post, Woodward and Bernstein, my God, the greatest journalism of all time. Okay, so the biggest controversy now engulfing the Washington Post is a hysterically funny controversy in which Dave Weigel, who used to be a member of what was called Journalist, okay, if you go all the way back, this is probably 15 years now, he was a member of a 400-person echo chamber called Journalist, where basically a bunch of journalists would get on there, they would talk to each other, and very often they would end up writing stories that very much reflected one another. And that was exposed to public view. This is when Dave Weigel was at Slate. He ended up moving from Slate over to the Washington Post. Well, the echo chamber still exists, except Dave Weigel crossed the echo chamber. He did something unpardonable. He retweeted a joke. Now, I know what you're saying. Wait, wait, he retweeted a joke? Why is that like a national news story? Ah, ha, ha. But this joke was sexist. Mm. And he angered, he angered the great powers that be over at the Washington Post. Not the editors. The editors were fine. It was, it was a couple of columnists, one named Felicia Sanmez and the other, the egregiously awful Taylor Lorenz. So according to CNN, the Washington Post has now suspended Weigel for one month without pay for retweeting a sexist joke. He didn't tell the sexist joke. He retweeted the sexist joke. Weigel did not respond to request for comment, but an out-of-office reply from his Post email address said he would not return to work on July 5th, that he would return to work on July 5th. Weigel apologized publicly last week for the retweet, saying he did not mean to cause any harm. Now, he didn't cause any harm. It was a retweeted bad joke. By the way, the, the entire joke was from a YouTuber named Cam Harless who said, every girl is bi. You just have to figure out if it's polar or sexual. A dumb, sexist joke, not my cup of tea, clearly a joke, clearly a joke. So Dave Weigel immediately got slammed by the feminist wave. So apparently, Felicia Sanmez, one of his colleagues, spotlighted this. She recently had a discrimination lawsuit against the paper Dismissed, a decision her attorney says she plans to appeal, which means she now owns the paper because of the way that you apparently earn the editorship of a major American newspaper is you call the paper racist. Nicole Hannah-Jones now owns the New York Times. The way she owns the New York Times is she basically suggests that any colleague who crosses her is a vicious racist and they can't fire her because then they'll get hit with a discrimination lawsuit. So they basically turned over the editorial page of the New York Times to her, right? Like the entire reporting body of the New York, Nicole Hannah-Jones is the de facto editor of the New York Times, at least insofar as if she doesn't like somebody working for the New York Times, very solid shot that person no longer works at the New York Times. So now Felicia Sanmez has realized the same game. She filed a discrimination lawsuit against the paper. It was dismissed. But now that she's done that, they know that if she gets fired, she's just going to file another lawsuit. So this means that if she finds someone at the paper who she can accuse of sexual discrimination and the paper does not retaliate against that person, she will sue them again. So she now owns the paper by threat of lawsuit. 
So Sanya sarcastically wrote on Twitter on Friday, quote, it is fantastic to work at a news outlet where retweets like this are allowed. She attached the screen grab showing Weigel's retweet. Sanmez apparently confronted Weigel in an internal company Slack channel. She tagged him and wrote, I'm sorry, but what is this? Sanmez added in the Slack channel that the retweet, quote, sent a confusing message about what the post's values are. So just to get this straight, if the post does not punish a columnist for his own Twitter feed, which the post does not run, retweeting a bad joke, then the post obviously embraces the joke. Now, we here at The Daily Wire, we don't control the Twitter feeds of the people who work for us. And we don't. People post stuff all the time. I'm sure that I disagree with. Is the idea that if I don't monitor everything that everyone who works at the Daily Wire tweets ever, and they retweet a bad joke, that it is my obligation to fire them? Is that the, is that the idea here? Apparently, that is the idea. Others on Friday joined the discussion in the Slack channel, prompting edit, national editor Mattia Gold to write, I just want to assure all of you that the Post is committed to maintaining a respectful workplace for everyone. We do not tolerate demeaning language or actions. The Post chief spokesperson, Chris Caratti, also issued a statement to the press saying, editors have made clear to the staff the tweet was reprehensible and demeaning language or actions like that will not be tolerated. But according to CNN, the public and private admonishment of Weigel's retweet has failed to quell tension inside the Post. Jose Real, a, Jose Del Real, a reporter at the Post, responded on, Tuesday, on Twitter Saturday to Sanmez's initial tweet. Del Real said Weigel's tweet was terrible and unacceptable, but he said rallying the internet to attack him for a mistake he made doesn't actually solve anything. We all mess up in some way or another. There is such a thing as challenging with compassion, which is like a rational response. If you don't like a tweet, then why don't you call up the person and be like, I don't like that tweet very much and give them a chance to say, oh yeah, you know what? That was a dumb thing. I shouldn't have retweeted that and take it down. Nope, had to publicly shame him. Sanmez responded saying, calling out sexism isn't cruelty. It is something that is absolutely necessary. Then Sanmez and Del Riel, who both work for the Post, decided to get into a bleep fight. They proceeded to engage in a back and forth over Twitter on Saturday with Del Real ultimately moving to temporarily deactivate his account. Sally Busby, executive editor of The Post, tried on Sunday morning to rein in the newsroom by sending a memo reminding staffers to treat each other with respect and kindness, both in the newsroom and online. So basically, we are now in middle school. The principal has to come and be like, guys, you have to stop hitting each other. Stop, stop pulling the pigtails. Just stop it. Stop doing that. Be nice to each other. Busby said the Washington Post is committed to an inclusive and respectful environment, free of harassment, discrimination, or bias of any sort, which is code for please don't sue us. We're punishing Dave. Please don't sue us. When issues arise, please raise them with leadership or human resources. We will address them promptly and firmly. However, the attempt by leadership to squash the controversy failed again. Sanmez on Sunday afternoon said on Twitter, Busby's note had provided fodder for more harassment against her. So in other words, the post is like, guys, if you can handle this internally, that'd be great. And she's like, stop harassing me. I might sue you. Del Riel reactivated his account and posted a statement on Sunday afternoon saying he faced a, quote, unrelenting series of attacks intended to tarnish my professional and personal reputation after tweeting at Sanmez. Sanmez then proceeded to call out Del Riel for blocking her and said that instead of apologizing, he had instead made a series of false accusations and mischaracterizations in his statement. Sanmez, for instance, said she saw no comments intending to harm Del Riel's reputation. Sanmez then tagged Busby and Gold on Twitter and said she'd reached out to them to discuss the matter, but that she hadn't heard back. Retaliation against a colleague for speaking out against sexism is never okay, Sanmez wrote. I hope the Washington Post leaders treat this as the serious issue that it is. So she went after, so this guy wrote back to her and said, you know, you could treat people with some compassion while still disagreeing with a bad tweet. And she's like, you're a bad person and I hope you burn. And he's like, well, that's, that's not very nice. And she's like, why isn't the Washington Post firing this one? That's discrimination. This is what happens when you hire crazy people and then when you let the crazy people run the asylum. 
By Monday morning, tension at the Post was still high, says CNN. Video technician Brianna Muir responded to Busby's all-staff email, applauding Sanmez for speaking out against harassment, discrimination, and sexism. So it's good. And now you've got like basically all the all the kooks on the Washington Post staff were like, I smell a lawsuit. That's a deep pocket. By the way, my deepest heartfelt sympathies go out to the editors of the Washington Post who deserve every single bit of all of this. I feel so bad for you. And by so bad, I mean happy and gleeful inside because you spent years promoting people like Taylor Lorenz who targets people for destruction based on nothing. So you deserve every single iota of this, every jot and tittle of this you deserve. Muir attached a tweet showing that Micah Gelman, the head of the Post video team, had once misidentified her as Brianna Taylor. Um, so you, you just mess, messed up the name and that's harassment too. Muir said, if the Washington Post is committed to an inclusive and respectful environment free of harassment, discrimination, or bias of any sort, can someone please help me understand Micah Gelman and Dave Weigel's tweets and retweets? These tweets and retweets not only hurt women in our newsroom, but make it extremely difficult to do our best work. Ultimately, it creates a toxic work environment. Gelman had already apologized to Muir for misidentifying her. When the incident happened in February, he wrote on Twitter in a long thread last night, thanking my staff for working exhaustive hours. I inadvertently misidentified Brianna Muir. He was thanking her in the tweet and messed up her name. And she says that's harassment. That's insane. I mean, this is like if I was thanking producer Jessica and by accident, I was like, and thanks to Jessica Alba. Because I messed up the name. And then she's like, that's sexual harassment. I like, what? No, I just messed up. the. I was thanking you. What? But apparently at the post, this counts as harassment because, again, when you're a big corporation, people like suing you. I reached out to apologize and do so here now, said Gelman. We're working extremely long hours. While this was not intentional, it should not have happened. Coretti also released a statement at the time noting that Gelman apologized both privately and publicly for this mistake. Karate then added, however, we do not take the impact of that error lightly and regret the emotional toll it has had on Brianna. We've also reached out to her and are committed to fostering an inclusive environment throughout the newsroom. The emotional toll of, of somebody messing up your name in a Twitter thread thanking you? The emotional toll? So uh, I will just point out at this point that the original tweet that was retweeted by Dave Weigel suggested that women are crazy. And the way that these women at the Washington Post have decided to rebut that claim is by being as crazy as living hell. Weigel retweets something saying that women are bipolar or bisexual. Again, a bad, stupid joke. And then the women are like, what if I act super bipolar? Hmm? Hmm? Hey, what in the world? It's, it's hysterical. It's really, really, really funny. And you know what? These are the people they want they want controlling the discourse. These are the people they've decided, you know, it's the Washington Post should maximize its reach on Facebook. But Dan, Dan Pfeiffer says that if you view articles from the Daily Wire, this means that you are bad and this is a cancer on our democracy. Meanwhile, the paper whose slogan is democracy dies in darkness, initiated, of course, only after Donald Trump was president because he was the democracy. He was the killer of democracy. He was the darkness. That paper is so, it's, it's a high school yearbook meeting. And that is, the, that is the most respected paper in America. That in the New York Times, which is just filled with dullards. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine why the American... Guys, I'm sorry, but your little cadre of morons who echo each other, except when they are busily burning witches in the Washington Post newsroom, you going in the back room with the Democratic Party and playing seven minutes in heaven, that is not going to save you in 2022. It is not. You can try it. You can try doing this the January 6th routine. You can try shutting down your opposition. It ain't going to work. And man, you're going to get punished and you deserve to be punished by the American voter. Alrighty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out one of our newest podcasts, Morning Wire. On today's episode, they report on Virginia school board looking to impose harsh penalties on students for social justice related infractions. That episode is available right now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to tune in. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. 
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Bradford Carrington, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Wydowski, associate producer Savannah Dominguez-Morris, editor Adam Saievitz, audio mixer Mike Coromina, hair and makeup artist and wardrobe Fabiola Cristina, production coordinator Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey there, this is John Bickley, Daily Wire editor-in-chief and co-host of Morning Wire. On today's episode, mass layoffs loom and concern over the economy grows. The investigation into the Supreme Court leak heats up, and a Virginia school looks to impose harsh penalties on students for misgendering peers. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 